Hi, this is Think Queerly, and I'm your host, Darren Steele. I help deep thinkers and creators, and especially queer-thinking people, pursue their purpose and cultivate their potential to enjoy more acceptance, freedom, and peace of mind. Well, today's episode is going to speak more broadly about an article I published that I titled How Things Begin and How Things Converge, Contemplations on Core Concepts in the Tao Te Ching. And think of this as the path or the many ways to self-mastery. I'm going to take some time to work through some of the ideas because the post as published is dense. It's not a very long post, but the ideas contained within it. Sometimes when I publish, I'm trying to be very, let's say, didactic and and put things sort of in a sequence. It's like, so this happens, this happens, this happens. And then maybe if I've got some way of processing a particular situation or question, maybe I'll have a personal evolution process or I'm trying to maybe substantiate an idea or explain something further. Since this is more of a, or this is very much a reflection, a rumination or a contemplation on some ideas um, in the Tao Te Ching, I really need to speak more to this particular article. And I'm just giving you this preface because the concepts are really deep and the concepts have a great deal of meaning to me in the research and development of my, I'm, I'm doing on my philosophy of human-heartedness. And as I read more translations of the Tao Te Ching, as I consume more uh, commentary or uh, books that are looking at the meanings um, that are held within the Tao Te Ching, of course, my ideas develop further. So one of the, and this is an interesting book in itself, it's not so much that this book is a translation, it's a translation into English so that I can read it, because I do not read Chinese, but it's called The Classic of the Way and Virtue, a new translation of the Tao Te Ching of Lao Tzu as interpreted by Wang Bai. Now, a brief background before I get into this. Wang Bai lived and, and wrote this commentary around the year 250. Now, the Tao Te Ching, they believe, was written somewhere between 250 or 350 and 250 before the Common Era. This book by Wang Bai is one of the earliest so-called, I guess, scholarly um, commentaries by someone who is embracing Taoism and it's one of the go-to commentaries for people that are doing research into the Tao Te Ching. Um, the most other research that I'm using is either through Alan Watts, who uh, is a philosopher that brought sort of religion and Zen and Taoism to North America and talked about how they all came together and 
really, I think, is one of the most brilliant and insightful people for how he understood the concepts found and expressed in the Tao Te Ching and how they can be understood in the most simple way. And uh, then another book that I, or another translation and commentary that I read by Wing Sit Chan uh, comes from the early 1960s. And, and then otherwise, I guess I've been reading translations and commentaries from the 1990s up to just a couple of years ago. So that's the background. Now, one of the... Uh, things that you're going to find in the Tao Te Ching is these these dualities, these polarities, um, this idea of yin and yang. And that term, yin and yang, is often thought of or, or referred to as, you know, the dark and the light, the mountain and the valley, the male and the female, as expressed in the various verses of the, the Tao Te Ching. Now, we as humans observe the world in dualities. We cannot have an idea without a name for the idea. In other words, you can't have an idea of what up means without it relating to the idea of the word down and so on, right? What the Tao Te Ching expresses is that the Tao, this organic understanding of of the world the universe is like your beating heart you don't think of the heart beating you don't consciously say okay heart i'm gonna slap you a couple times on uh, on my chest to make sure that you uh, you get back to beating there okay good 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 heart's beating oh is my heart still beating you know no it is of itself so like what makes our heart beat. What is the spark that suddenly created the first beat of your heart? I don't know if we know that yet. What is it that made the universe? Science is always trying to discern the truth to give us that answer, but they usually find more questions. And the Tao Te Ching, or, or Lao Tzu, the supposed author of the Tao Te Ching, seeks to express these mutually arising conditions, these polar opposites, these binaries, these ways in which we understand the world. So I'm going to read um, a brief section from Wang Bai's Introduction. It's called the Outline Introduction to the Lao Tzu. And this is basically like his introduction before he started breaking down the various verses and what they meant for the Tao Te Ching. And this is the center or the, the core concept that I want to share with you in this podcast, that this is about how things begin and how things converge. So I'll read the quote now. And this is from Wang Bai, not the Tao Te Ching specifically. But the ideas he expresses here are, are seen throughout the verses of the entirety of the Tao Te Ching. So here we go. If one tries to control people with punishments, cleverness and treachery will surely arise. 
If one tries to define with names how people should behave, order and consideration will surely be lost. If one tries to encourage people through the use of praise, contention over who should be exalted will surely arise. And if one tries to manage people with self-denial, contradictory behavior will surely ensue. So this, the, the idea that is expressed there is these mutual arising conditions, right? <clears throat> so in the very first one, if you try to control people with punishments, well, they're going to respond in some way. They're going to react in some way. They're either going to be very clever in figuring out a way to avoid punishment, or they're going to go in the opposite direction of, of so-called treachery. They may have to con- uh, commit violent acts in order to uh, deal with the oppression that they're facing, whether that be at a government level or whether that be in the level of just in the family. Okay. To explain some of the ad- adjacent and associated and overlapping ideas for, for what all of this means, I need to bring in a few more concepts. One of the most important that's expressed about the Tao, this thing that we cannot name, we might just call it the way of things, the universal order, the universal organic organic system that just makes all of this work that we can't pinpoint as having a center. This core concept is not forcing. And in the Chinese, it's expressed, and I'm probably not going to pronounce it right, Wu Wai. So it's not forcing. Some people translate it as not doing or no action, but that's not correct. It's not forcing. And this relates to the, the term that came sometime after the Tao Te Ching, the yin and the yang. And that's expressed as this symbol that almost looks like two fishes side by side, almost as if they have a single eye within a circle. Well, if you were to move those around, you see the fluid dynamic, how the one influences the, the other. So you, if you, let's say, push or affect in one direction, it's going to have an equal and opposite effect. So that's not forcing. These things just move almost like um, the most perfectly balanced and lubricated axle surrounded by ball bearings. They just move with ease and without any sand or dirt or any grinding. They just, you move in one direction, the other things move in the other. This This idea of not forcing also... Um, is further understood by water. And water is the most commonly used metaphor to explain ideas in the Tao Te Ching. Because water, like nature, is by itself so. And what that means is there is no consciousness directing itself, uh, directing it, just like the idea of the beating heart. Um, Who is telling the heart to beat? It's certainly not your consciousness. It's certainly not you who is listening to me speaking who is deciding for the heart to speak. Well, just the same as with water. Just the same as with nature. We have four seasons. We have trees that blossom and then the leaves fall off and they hibernate for the winter. 
We have bees that depend on the flowers that provide pollen, and the bees then go eat the pollen, but because they are moving their body across the pollen, and then they move to another flower, that cross-pollinates and allows nature to continue to grow and to expand. This is the mutually arising idea of all things in nature, including ourselves. That when one thing exists in nature, there is something else that creates some sort of a balanced reciprocity. And water, in the sense of flow, moves where it needs to move. It may find itself in the lowest of places, into the cracks and the crevices, deep below where perhaps people don't want to go, but that's what water does. And over time, water can erode even the sharpest rock. And water water is, is gentle in one moment, but can be immensely destructive in another. Think of a tidal wave crashing down and destroying everything that's in its path. Think of water in its fluid state versus water frozen and ice moving across a river, ripping up the riverbed as it flows downstream. If you put your hands into a lake and you try and push all the water out of the way, will you move the lake to a different location. No, you're just in the way of water and water by itself. So just makes its way around you effortlessly of no mind and by itself. So, and this is one of the deep metaphors or, or, or ways of trying to elucidate how we as human beings can be in the world in relation to our thoughts and our challenges, not to ignore things, not to not take action on things that are challenging, but to see things in a moment of calm consciousness to decide how we might wish to flow, how we might wish to wish to approach a situation with minimal effort. Minimal effort in the sense of without much resistance in our way. It might take a lot of effort for us to figure something out and to action something, right? But with a focus towards efficiency might be another way of saying it. And one final thought about water, you know, you swim against the current and what happens? You have to work much harder against the force of the current. And if that's how you lead your life, always trying to swim upstream against a very violent river moving downstream, life is going to always be a struggle. There's another uh, wonderful um, sentence in th- that Wang Bai shares in the, this section where I shared the quotation. He says, being good at making quick progress lies in not hurrying, and being good at reaching goals lies in not forcing one's way. This is what I just said, right? But let me read it again. Being good at making quick progress lies in not hurrying, and being good at reaching goals lies in not forcing one's way. If we think 
non-contention, impartiality, compassion, open-mindedness, being like flexible and yielding to what happens in our lives and humility and connection with others. These are the principles of human-heartedness that I'm creating, but they beautifully express, I think, the idea of self-mastery and approaching life with greater ease and efficiency so that you can still accomplish what you wish to do, but it can be done with much less stress and resistance. And that you can go more with the flow, non-forcing, so that you have far less struggle to deal with. Now, I love, 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 love the metaphor of water because human beings are mostly made up of water. What are we, 85-ish percent water? And it's an interesting thought experiment if you pause and consider how this relates to everything I've said so far about water. We're humans made of mostly water. Well, what happens when we try and control another human being? You know, it's like trying to control water. Most self-aware individuals are just either going to move out of your way, let you do your thing until you get bored and you sort of, they allow all of your energy in doing just to wash over them, to use the metaphor of water. But they can also put up force. And with great resistance, a human being can act like a very old tree, refusing to budge and get out of your way, such that you will have to eventually become the water and flow around them. And they will be like, metaphorically, the big rock in the center of the river that is too solid for you to break down in just a couple of hours, or in that moment of argument and contention, that the only way through is around. So if I take a moment and come back to some of the opening quotations, if you control, if you try and control people by punishing them, they're going to be clever or they're going to be treacherous as a result. You know, if you try to define with names how people should behave, order and consideration will be lost. Let's just look at what's happening around in, in the world right now. You know, try and control people with punishments in, in, in Russia. Putin and the courts have done everything to take an opposition leader, put him in jail, and make his entire organization or label his entire organization as extremist and also punishable by jail sentence if a reporter even mentions his name. The same thing is happening right now in Hong Kong with governments oppressing people and threatening punishment for freedom of speech. Various people are being very clever about how they can subvert the system, but treachery, just in the larger sense of the word, as expressed here by Wang Bai, doesn't necessarily mean treachery in the sense of bad. It may mean violent opposition in order to break through the state and a corrupt system. And if one tries to define with names how people should behave, think LGBTQ. Think people who then use it against us and say, you know, 
there are countries that will make the ridiculous statement, no gays exist in my country. Conversely, even in our own community, someone will say, you're not acting gay enough. You're not acting like a proper queer person. We're trying to create conditions and labels. Or you're not acting leftist enough. You're not acting rightist enough. I don't like that person. They're a neo-Nazi. They're a capitalist. They're a fascist. They're racist. When we just throw names at people, it's not to say that it's right or wrong. It might be apt. But we do have to see how that is going to affect order and consideration for others. Because people are going to react. And there are certainly more humane ways of dealing with challenging situations. And blaming and shaming are relatively problematic. And I'm going to come back to blame in just a moment. So what the... Tao teaching tells us, and what Wang Bai shares in his exposition of of the nature of the principles found in the Tao, in, in the quotation that I shared, is how things begin and how things converge. And what that means is that every action has some form of a corresponding reaction or association or a mutual arising or a result. You see, several roads, many paths can lead to the same destination. And it's this congruence that's the natural balancing act of these dualities and these mutual arisings. Let me give you a really concrete example. If I say, I want to create $100,000 in my business this year. Well, I'm going to have several paths that I can take to create that potential. But that's based on many different influences. My age, my gender, my current income, my current economic status, where I live, the work that I do, and the way in which I do my work. You might already be earning well above that. And you're thinking of a goal 10 times that size. One of your friends might have a completely different approach to how they're going to do that because they're a programmer and and then they're coming up on an app that could make them hundreds of thousands of dollars. And this is just this idea of how several roads many different paths can all lead to the same destination. And in a a similar vein, if you only take one approach, a single approach in life, let's say to solve a problem or to potentiate having your life turn out a certain way, it will create that potential, but it might be limited in what you can accomplish. By comparison, as another example, 
let's say you're witness to or part of a very heated argument and this argument is so divisive that you it seems absolutely irreconcilable yet the argument only exists because it's mutually arising because you're both coming from the same place you essentially want the same thing but you're trying to take different paths to get there so what both sides want is ultimately congruence but they're looking for a different pathway you know one more thought about praise if one tries to encourage people through the use of praise contention over who should be exalted will surely arise we're seeing this right now with statues being torn down you know the recognition of what has traditionally been men and in the case of toronto the statue of um I'm blanking on the first name, Ryerson, for Ryerson University, who was a landowner and abusive of individu- indigenous individuals at the in his lifetime and, you know, supported uh, the schools that caused tremendous harm to indigenous individuals. What these statues symbolize is not only what happened in the history, but a cultural praise of what that person did. And we're living in a society now that is looking at this and saying, we need reconciliation. And people are angry. Contention over who should be exalted will surely arise. People are angry. Because if they themselves are indigenous or if they're allies, maybe it's other LGBTQ people, maybe it's BIPOC individuals, they say, this is very similar to what I'm dealing with in my own life. And we need to change who we honor and recognize and praise. We need to change the idea of why we should exalt someone. And that's a bigger question. Should anyone be exalted at all? Because no one individual is an icon. No one individual um, can claim to be the person who is responsible for a single event. We don't do things alone. It just doesn't happen that way. So to come to a conclusion here, I want to mention something about blame. Confusion often comes up and arises in our lives if we lay blame on others for the situation in which we find ourselves. And often that blame is in the form of shaming. Brene Brene Brown has an exceptional podcast that she published just after the Capitol Hill riots in Washington, D.C. It might have been June 9th or 10th, but it just look, you know, the, the riots were on June the 6th, and I'll try and find the, uh, the link and put it in the show notes. But she talks about leadership and power structures and power over and power supporting and power with and power to. And she talks about shaming as having a negative effect. When you publicly shame someone, usually what happens is they will push back and think of why, not forcing you shame someone. And what happens? You get def- that person being shamed will get defensive They'll be like, fuck you. 
and they may even get angrier. They may even strengthen their position for what they're being shamed for in the first place. They may become even more radicalized because everyone else who's shaming them is supporting their position of why, of what they believe in. And just this primal defense mechanism is to even put more credence in what you believe in. But from a human-heartedness perspective, from a not-forcing perspective, if you were able, or if someone was able, to have a conversation with those people who caused a very contentious, problematic situation, if they could be sat down, and if everyone could have a non-contentious conversation, if they could come from a place of trying to understand each person's point of view, if they could come from a place of trying to be open-minded in that understanding, and even humility, this is my position, this is what I believe in, but I am willing to hear what you have to say, so long as you respect me, excuse me, as an individual. It's a really challenging place to come from because those of us that might be blaming and shaming others feel in a similar way this reaction, this threat of those people that are doing the thing that we wish to shame them about. So just laying blame or shaming someone is an act of surrender in that it holds us back the blamer, the shamer, from moving forward. It keeps us stuck in that past moment. We cannot rely on a single path in life because we may wind up at the wrong place, even though it's the right destination. And that might seem like a mind-bender, but that that's very much staying within sort of the, the, the mindset of the Tao Te Ching. We can be on the path to where we think we are going and get to the destination, but it was the wrong destination. Stephen Covey says this in um, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I think his metaphor is if you're climbing the ladder to success, um, make sure you're climbing the right ladder. So to pull this all together, there are many divergent paths that originate from and return to where we will always find ourselves. And this is the path of self-mastery. It's essentially circular. And no matter how far we go, what we accomplish and achieve in life, We will always be with ourselves. And so if we want to be the best version of ourselves that we can be in the world and have an impact in the sense of making a difference, of helping to be a humane change, then we have to recognize that we are always in the present moment with who we are. And we will always be with ourselves. 
and that everything we have learned up to this point is constantly converging. And we can either be that big boulder, that rock in the center of the river, not moving, rigid, practically immovable, or we can be like water, like wu-wai, not forcing, and gently, almost effortlessly, with intention, simply moving around the obstacle and continuing to move forward. All right. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I hope that I have made these ideas as clear as I can because there's so much metaphor required to explain these concepts. And while I feel I am mastering them more, I feel I still have a ways to go in explaining them more succinctly because I'm now at 33 minutes. Um, But I hope that I've shone some light on these ideas that maybe have caused you to think about how you see yourself in the world and your own self-mastery and your own level of personal responsibility. Until next time.